Hi, my name is Jasper Sebastian. I'm a student at the University of Twente and currently project coordinator of Design Lab. I am Nefeli Kuse, an Interaction Technology Master's student in University of Twente and Dream Teamer for Design Lab. And we welcome you to the Design Lab Room. This series gives you a look behind the scenes of Design Lab initiatives while exploring the experiences of the people who led them. So grab your drink of choice and let's dive in. Hello everybody, we are back for the fourth and last episode of the Design Lab Brew first series. Uh, here with uh, Jasper. Hey there Jasper. Hello. And Karithea. Hey. We have together with us Christina Zaga, who have, has been in charge of developing uh, the Design Lab approach since 2019, since the, su- the summer of 2019. Hello, Christina. Uh, hi, Nefelia, Jaspera, Karithea. It's, uh, it's awesome to be here. I'm excited to chat with you all. Thank you very much for being with us. For a starter, tell us a little bit about you, because I think it will make more sense. Uh, your work makes more sense if we understand a little bit uh, yourself as well. So who are you, Christina? <laughs> it's always the most confrontational question, right? Well, who are you? <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's keep it professional. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Twente. I work in the Human Center Design Group under the chair of Masha van der Voort. And uh, half of my week is dedicated to, uh, to work uh, in the design lab and I am co-developing with uh, the management team of the design lab and many other people in the operational team of the design lab, uh, the approach of the design lab, which is called responsible futuring. How did you uh, get your interest interest in methodologies? Because I think you're you're coming from a techie background. Yeah, I mean, I I, I come from a journey more than a techie background. So like, um, just to disclose my cultural upbringing, I am I was born in Italy and I I, I got the chance uh, to travel, and uh, so I have a. Uh, I would say a transdisciplinary, almost cultural upbringing, if you want, in the sense that I I have some um, some Italian side, some Dutch side, some American side, and a bit more of European flavor. Uh, and besides that, in terms of really discipline, disciplines and studies, I have first studied in my bachelor something completely rooted into humanities. Uh, but then I moved towards uh, more like the sciences, but it always have have to do with uh, either human communication and technology for technologies for human communication, or um, how to actually understand what this technology are uh, are doing to our cells and to our society right so that it's a bit the overarching uh, theme and of course when you move throughout um, settings ecosystems and disciplines you must find your way through how do you go about it how do you make sense of uh, this exciting mess which is in any case a mess because it's difficult also to present yourself I have a PhD in computer science, so people could say, yeah, you're a super techie computer scientist. Well, not really. I also did design during my computer science um, 
preparation for the for the for the phd and stuff like this so the point is that uh, methods methodologies approaches are always a way to find your way through a bit to find the field rouge the you know uh, your path and sometimes they can be restrictive because of course if you are for example, I also studied cognitive science, half of my master, if you do cognitive science, you have a strong empirical, you know, uh, method, you need to do experiments, you need to validate your ideas with uh, inferential statistics, so you have to test hypotheses and see whether they hold, while when you do design, it's still systematic, it's still, you know, scientific, but it's way more holistic. Sometimes when you work the problem, changes because you understand more about things so you go back and forth from problem and solution right so what i'm trying to say is that i got into methodologies to find a a, a common layer to walk through all the disciplines and all the interests because what i always have had is that i want to focus on um, producing knowledge to support societal flourishing Right, so that has been my, my constant, and then I had to find some paths. And that brought me to methodologies, even though I have to admit I'm not like um, a, methodolo a methodologist, so to say, a person that does that by default, but is a person that has, has had to do that to find her way through, and therefore I got into that, and I'm excited to work on it. You mentioned a lot about methodologies and uh, the reasoning behind why you're interested in it. Now we have the phrasing of methodology versus approach. The focus of the podcast is about the design lab approach. So what is this approach? And yeah, what is it that we refer to when we say the design lab approach? All right. So uh, I'll try not to be too boring, but just I think it's good to this ambiguate what an approach is and what a methodology is and what a method is, right? Yeah, actually, I think that there are two things. The design lab method, the science to design for society, and the design lab now that we have the design lab approach that is responsible futuring. So maybe you could explain the differences between those two and maybe we can understand the difference of methodology and uh, approach. Yeah. So let's take, a, let's take a step back, right? So when you are in, in whatever discipline, so I don't know, you guys are all more or less between design and tech, right? Creative technology and uh, interaction technology, but there are many other people that are doing, you know, biomedical engineering, whatever. Um, there, are, there is always a methodology related to your discipline. And typically a methodology is a, a, a systematization of all the methods that you use and the way you produce knowledge, right? Because whatever you do, you're trying to figure it out something what would about technology, about people, or about natural systems, right? It's like a, res a recipe book, right? You just pull a but that's, recipe. That's more a method. So a methodology is really like, it also gives a bit of the philosophy be behind it. And it has many, many methods in it. And the method is definitely a a recipe book right while an approach it's um, it's of course related to all these things so it's not something that is so far behind but it's really more uh, a belief system right it's more of a theoretical framework 
So I'm gonna make you, before going in details on science design from society and etc. and uh, responsible futuring, I'm gonna make a, an analogy that maybe is a bit more, it's a sexier because it's has to do with food. <laughs> but let's let's make an analogy with food and let's take my Italian roots to do that. Just to at least to understand the difference between approach and method that are, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that are often they are uh, confused. If there is food involved, I'm in. Okay, that's perfect. So, you're, you're all familiar with Italian food, more or less. But Italian yes. food is not just a set of dishes or whatever, right? It's a belief system. Italian food is meant to nurture people and is, is, is meant to bring about the love of the people that are cooking for you. And you have to... Um, and it brings appetite and it brings conviviality as well. So you need to sit together, eat together, and 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 here and there try all the things and 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 taste them and and try to you know really bunch in the flavors. No, that that's a bit an approach, right? And then you you take time to cook. You take time to figure it out. If you compare it with the Dutch approach to cooking. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great touchy topic right there. It's it's a it's quite different, but it's still valuable as a belief system. It has that it needs to be functional, it needs to be fast, it needs to be nutritious, right? But it it needs to be done in a certain amount of time with a certain amount of success. Those two are okay, and they're two different approaches. Then method-wise, you can have method to do pasta. And you can have an Italian method to the pasta. You boil the water, you put an, inc- uh, an incredible amount of salt, salt because it has to be like the Mediterranean Ocean. And then you put the pasta. <laughs> you take it, you take it, you take it out, and you put it in the pan, and you and you do a nice, uh, you know, uh, put together with the sauce. While in the Netherlands, it may be that you put just the, the, the cold water, the pasta, you let it go for a lot of longer time, and then, you know, different procedure, so to say, right? Yeah. So that's clear. So there are mm-hmm. an approach is a belief system. It explains to you how to use multiple methods. It, it, it's a conceptual framework, so to say, that it, it can be operationalized. While a method is a recipe, I do Sounds good. So this is this is clear. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Then I uh, then I owe you a, a, a plate of pasta after this because I probably <laughs> I, mean, I probably made you hungry. But that's uh, true. That's very much true. <laughs> so uh, science design for society uh, was a bit a middle way between an approach and a method, right? Okay. It was developed at the beginning when the design lab uh, opened up. And it encapsulated already a lot of the um, values and the principles of responsible futuring, such as bringing what we do in academia to society and bringing society in, vice versa, right? Uh, But it also um, made it a bit more method-wise with steps, right? And there there was like an external step that was quite similar to uh, the typical design thinking procedure that has like empathize, conceptualize, ideate, um, prototype, evaluate, etc. And then an inner circle 
that that one was really the one that was encapsulating a bit more the principles that we have join reflect reframe uh, which are all things that are coming from design research but also from philosophy of uh, technology right and and more this kind of societal participation and uh, what we notice is that um, it was a really interesting way to tackle societal challenges but eventually what we wanted to do was really stay in the inner circle because the rest was not an addition to what was there already right it was it's still valuable it's still important and it still makes sense but sometimes there were there were some frictions between the two because if you look at the classical design thinking which is again i repeat important valuable and useful um, it has been criticized quite a lot because it doesn't have moments of broad reflection it is difficult usually it focuses only on the people that are working together at that moment right and it, it it's not really open to especially especially to social ethical reflection which is extremely important and and of course what happens is that we 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 are not we didn't change what we did but we did just i would say we um implemented our vision even more and we morphed so we are just growing into responsible futuring so that would be the idea and responsible futuring is really more of an approach it gives broad strokes right it explains that what we want to do is to uh, transdisciplinary co-design the future that we want to see and it sounds a bit naive and a bit like uh, i'm going to be saving the word like the things that they say at the beauty pageant but uh, <laughs> but at the, at the same time it's 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 that what we want to say yeah could you say that this approach is more telling you head direction north instead of saying head i don't know north 20 steps and then south this and then that and then this and then that is it broader in that sense that you can decide yourself how to it go that be, way but what 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 we say is that it the point is that it's not that we as design lab decide the direction what we want what we want to achieve is that we bring in what we called and yet another difficult name uh, the quadruple helix do you know what what is it? Oh, yes, yes. The, that uh, thing again. Wait, I know that one. It is academia, business, mm-hmm. policymakers, and citizens, right? Yes, yeah, so th- those are all the rep- representatives, so to say, of who may, uh, brings knowledge to the world, right? So the point is that we recognize that those are important you know, stakeholders to bring in in any projects. So together with the uh, with the guidance a bit of the approach, we can work out our points of view perspectives to figure it out how to tackle the societal challenges because all the expertises actually matter. They are different and you cannot expect that a citizen will start prototype and 3D print per se, <laughs> just to, to understand each other. But whatever you can bring in, you need to bring it in because that matters and we need to factor it in, right? So instead of saying go north or south, they bring this approach brings in a compass that is this quadruple helix. Yeah. It's not really the quadruple helix, but the, the responsible future in general could be a, a compass on what actions 
to take or what um, uh, principles to abide to to try to go towards the direction that we want to take that is um, so we have some principles right so we want to make sure that uh, there is uh, that we always frame the challenge we try to understand the real issue at, at, at hand and we don't just do it in a in a shallow way we really do it in, in depth with the stakeholders there and that we uh, enable stakeholders uh, to to be there to have a common ground to discuss roles and to discuss responsibilities and to find a way to have a voice and to ideate with moral imagination and to do positive ethics this this compass does it lead you into the three into the three pillars of design lab the uh, the pillars of approach uh, or is that again something different so i would say that this concept, compass has been made with the three pillars so it's um it provides you yeah direction also for that but it's it's not it doesn't lead you towards transdisciplinarity responsible design and citizen science per se but you're going to you're going to engage in those three uh, strands when you are uh, practicing responsible futuring could you shortly like uh, explain what the pillars are for the listeners at home mm-hmm. Yes, so um, I would say more the pillars, I would say we, we, we have drives, something that drives us. Uh, and again, it's about the fact that we want to uh, support uh, not like, you know, the advance of technology per se, but we want to support the advance of society, right? And to understand better human technology relations. So instead of doing technology push, we are trying to figure it out what societal needs are there and how to you know support them so what we do is to focus on societal challenges and challenges that are related to human technology relationship right uh, the second drive is that we want to do so in a responsible manner in a way that it takes into account the social ethical implication and you try also to um, not anticipate but at least to uh, to think about what kind of uh, consequences you can have with certain ideas and certain perspectives that you might, you know, work towards. Um, then this is something that you know quite well. So you bring science to society and society to science so that you have that quadruple helix that I was saying. And um, and eventually uh, those uh, what you do is to make sure that when you work within these drives, uh, you always enable stakeholders, you frame the challenge, as I was saying before, you make uh, your decision making, your discussion tangible, because of course, when you discuss too much, you might lose hands. So what you do is to try to either uh, uh, co-create, really like making things together, like you're familiar with tinkering that could also help uh, or um, really using more visual ways to think about scenarios so those is I call it tangibilizing and that is a principle within these drives and as I was saying ideating with moral imagination that so that you take into account the values of people the norms of society 
and you factor them in. And then another thing that, uh, that is part of these drives as a principle is to generate um, positive ethics. What does it mean by positive ethics? It is not the me, me, me ethics. No, 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 don't do that. That's not good to do. That's not, that's not our uh, way of working, but it's more about, okay, how can we go about this? What are the, uh, the, the boundaries and what is desirable to have, right? Because that's why it's called futuring, right? So when you, every time you do something, you future, right? So what? Yeah, so exactly. responsible futuring, correct? Create something that has an end of life. You create something that will be used for an amount of time in the future. Is that am I am I I'm understanding it correctly? Yes. So everything you do in in whatever discipline, you create something for the future because it's not here here now, right? But typically, what you do is try either to do make what is possible, or what is plausible, or uh, what is interesting to do right but what we want to do is desirable that's what we want to do what is desirable Ah. but what is when you say desirable you bring into account the responsibility and you bring into account the the fact that it's not just one person that should decide or one entity because who knows what desirable is right and of course now i'm i'm simplifying it and making it a bit more trivial so to say but that's a bit the gist of it i think it is good that we have this kind of simplification because we are um really um a questioning um not questioning i think that this simplification is really good because we would really like to know what this practically would mean for design lab um are there any uh any any new anything really been in place that is uh, in accordance with this new approach or are there are there any changes in the internal policies of design lab that will reflect it well i think in general i mean there are two ways one way is something that i might not be able to elaborate too much upon because i think uh, sabine as a director can do that way better than me so we are bringing these kind of uh, um, drives and principles that I was talking to you about in what we do. And if you think about it, we already have some of that because it's not something that if I was talking to you about this, it was so far away, right? We, we, we always have been working with society. We always have been working with various partners, including citizens, and we always have been working towards um, maybe we didn't call it before as responsible design, but that was the case, right? Something for society and that we and we take care of and, and where we take care of values and um, norms and uh, and and the ethical uh, perspective. So I think it's nothing new. Uh, what what we are doing more at the uh, the way of working point of view is that we have systematized phases of work that you can be in and instead of being like in the in the design thinking phases that you have to do step by step so step one step two step three and etc these are a bit more um how do you call it um yes holistic phases so that uh depending a bit on in in width 
uh, in which situation you are in, what in the which in which are the needs of the um, of the projects, you can uh, arrange them as it works better for you. But typically, what we do, we have always a phase which we call connect and relate, which practically helps people to find common ground common language, understand that each other has a perspective that matters and that each other have values and uh, mindsets and that we need to find a way to, to work with each other and learn from each other as well, right? So activities to facilitate that and, and to have, you know, uh, some uh, outcomes that can help us with that so we can have eventually at the end a, a concrete plan on how to collaborate or um, a map of expertises and um, values and perspective and, and where we can connect to each other, right? So that's that's very useful, but of course it's more useful at the decision-making level. Um, the second phase that doesn't have to come second, but typically does, uh, is called understand and frame, right? And what you do there, you try to understand the societal issue you're in. So you might map the context, map the people, try to understand the problems for real. And sometimes you have to reframe the problem, right? Sometimes the problem is not what you thought it was. So you have to step back and reformulate it. And what you do eventually is that you map the acquired knowledge and you try to develop... Um, almost a sentence that can help you guide and guide you throughout the project. And that's called the frame. So it's a systematic set of sentences that usually, I like to call it more like the lens that you put on, right? That can give you a way to look at the problem, at the context, at the people. Uh, then there's a phase that is more generative, which is called imagine and ideate, that has to do to uh, really develop and reflect on future scenarios right so what and and you make it tangible there you can do it with lo-fi prototypes with uh lego representations or with actually scenario representations and um and also you want what you want to do maybe is to evoke and provoke reflections through making right and this is quite uh similar to the typical ideation but it has that kind of ethical point of view. And last but not least, you reflect and reframe. This is something that can happen at all levels and also in the in the phases that came before. So you just take a step back, you analyze the implications, the concepts, and maybe you change the perspective, but you declare that. Right? So this is a bit the way of working in broad strokes. And then for each of these phases, you can bring in methods that have been developed in various uh, disciplines or in various situations. So for example, definitely in Reflect and Reframe, you can bring in the guidance ethics approach that was developed by Peter Paul Verbeek uh, that is really about analyzing uh, the socio-ethical implications and provide guidance, right? Or you can use in Imagine and Ideate uh, scenario-based design together with technomoral scenarios. Um, so the point is that um, 
the, the, the beauty of responsible futuring is that it gives you this kind of broad strokes and then you can bring in methods from various disciplines because we do not have to forget that we are transdisciplinary. So we can borrow and bring in whatever we need at hand for each work, workshop or for each project because then we can figure it out what makes sense for the group of people we are working for and with. Does it make sense or? Oh yes, I... completely. Okay. It does. It seems like a longer process than um, science to design for society. It seems like it's something that it would be applied in a bigger project. Yes. I would say yes. <laughs> and then, I mean, it's always a bit longer to take into account all these things, rather to go in, for example, in the agile uh, scheme of things, right? Or the scrum, whatever you, you, you use, which is extremely valuable. But sometimes you, um, what I was looking, for example, yes, I was on Twitter yesterday and I was looking at this amazing tweet of a very nice uh, person that is a, a UX designer and he was saying the best designers are the ones that are doing things faster, stronger, cooler than others, which is true. But at the same time, then they are also the ones that ha, at the end they do, ha, oh man, I made a mistake or oh, I didn't take into account these consequences or whoops, right? Yeah, okay. I have a question then, because since this is a a, long, a longer approach, so to say, is there a sort is there a shorter version or or a simplified version that dream teamers could use while approaching a new project that they would like to start, or is there a sort of I don't want to say not a cheat sheet, but well, it sounds a bit yeah. like a cheat sheet, right? <laughs> you know, you, you apply the approach, but you do it in a bit of a more fast track way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, at the moment, no. How would you then um, make sure that the Dream Team members can be empowered to actually use this approach in other projects? Maybe not for sprints, but for more long-term projects. Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, question. So what I would suggest is to have always uh, at the beginning a bit more of a development phase in which you look at the phases of responsible futuring and you think about, okay, for this specific goal that we have here, what would fit? Is it about connecting and relating people? Is it about ideating with moral imagination? Is it about helping them frame something, what we want to achieve? And then when you decide that, you can get into that phase and bring about some ideas to to use design methods or even engineering methods that you might need, right? So it's not necessary to have all of the faces in no, a project. not per se. That's why it sounded long. This is the fluid part, I'm guessing, since it's yes. not like one, two, three. Exactly. Like yeah, okay. So for example, even if you, just to make an example that is clear, say that you want to uh, ideate with, with moral imagination, right? And you are doing some kind of future scenarios. You can also bring in methods such as the one that I was uh, mentioning before of the guidance ethics to guide you in doing these scenarios. But then you just focus on that and the output is going to be a, a responsible futuring scenario with nice, clear elements and a blueprint for people to think about how to ideate in the future. And definitely, you're always going to have some aspect of reflections and some aspect of reframing, right? But 
is not that the focus of that particular portion of your work. Of course, if you're in a bigger project, say a uh, six-year un uh, university project that uh, is connected with European consortium, um, then you might take all the phases, right? But it might take more time. Yeah, but these are usually also larger. They also involve a lot more people, which makes more sense to bring in more knowledge and more perspectives and have more impact as well. Mm -hmm. But but for the for the dream teamers, I would say uh, just um, put in your uh, way of working a, a moment of development in which you really understand what's the goal, what kind of phase would I... Uh, be in and in case what would be the outcome and then you can look in the team of people you're working with or the people you're working for and with if you have also citizens for example to try to understand what kind of methods you can bring in from a transdisciplinary point of view and to clarify for the audience transdisciplinary means to go beyond disciplines so you can borrow from a lot of things and the point is more like to have both a more knowledge-oriented perspective, but also more societal perspective. It's still very broad, but just to understand each other. I'm, I think you've already answered it in a way, but once you've reached the end of the goal, how can you determine that this approach has been successfully applied? Well, uh, it's always about defining the outcomes at the beginning of the project, right? Mm -hmm. And it, I guess it's also, like you said, it's a journey. Yeah. It's not... It's not A to B, it's really the process Correct. In So I will well. always say that you have to evaluate two things, the process and the outcomes. The outcomes typically are uh, well-defined at the beginning of the project and they might be shape, shaped in a different way because that happens. Uh, but then you have to, in any case, arrive at the outcomes, right? So, for example, if you need to create um, a blueprint for uh, citizen science hubs around Europe, that's your outcome. So that's your measure of success. You have that. Do you have all the elements that you need? Do you have all the building blocks that you require? Have you managed to do that through the process? Very well. The process in itself, it's uh, you need to, to check and to continuously check in. So it's not something that you do at the very end, but it's something a bit more continuous. Am I working in a transdisciplinary way? Am I bringing in responsible design? principles in what I'm doing? Am I making sure that I am valorizing and supporting the expertise of the quadruple helix that I'm working with? So these are a bit more the, the checkpoints for yourself that are a bit looser than maybe just, you know, a, a more, you know, user evaluation or whatever. But those are the things. So process, outcomes, process is looser, outcomes is a bit easier to... <laughs> Uh, to evaluate make sense yeah it, it could be a good moment of evaluation at the end of a long project to see not only what we achieved but how we achieved it as well mm -hmm. it, it's um, it's a very design lab um way also and mm -hmm. that's something that's really interesting uh, we now, in order to have a little bit more grounded view of all of the things we discussed, we are um, a, we have prepared some examples of projects, and we want to play a game with you, Christina. Um, the game the game is Does it apply? 
and we would like you to apply this uh, approach to different um, projects that are older projects or existing projects within Design Lab. And for first uh, for, for the first one, we have the project that Design Lab did with KLM. And we found, um, in our own opinion, that there was a misaligned approach between KLM and Design Lab, where Design Lab was more focused in sustainability and KLM was more focused on the bottom line. So we wanted to ask, like, how could we try and use this approach in a way that could mediate this kind of possible conflicts and bring a balance to this kind of projects? Well, when you are working with uh, companies or any other type of partners that um, might have uh, different, not only values, but maybe uh, just objectives, it's always, I think that is exactly the perfect example uh, uh, to um, partake in transdisciplinary processes right so uh, typically um, when you are in transdisciplinary processes you practically try to go beyond the way you work and the way you see things to you know for the ultimate goal that you have right and of course it's still an, an innovation uh, process so you still want to achieve something that brings about uh, not per se a solution but but um, yeah, something better for the, 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 the situation you're in, so to say. And uh, I would say that this is the perfect example of uh, entering a process of connect and relate, for example. So to really try to figure it out each other perspectives and maybe try to let emerge each other values to see where conflicts are, which conflicts are not per se bad. They could be a, a great opportunity to understand how to find compromise right and also to understand where possible similarities lay possible similar points of views or perspectives um, so that will really help in the in the first phases of the project to uh, spend some time on that which sounds not efficient and effective because then you just try to figure it out yourself and then uh, then the project itself but it's actually extremely productive because then you 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 go beyond the conundrum of i want this the other one that what we do about it right you avoid the negotiation altogether maybe it's not really avoiding but it's it's working it out together and and try to make it in a way that becomes productive right Ah, okay, so maybe I phrased it wrong. You avoid the confrontation. Maybe, yes. And you turn it more into a negotiation process. Yeah, I think that uh, right now in society, we're a bit afraid of the word conflict or to have conflicts, but it's quite a human thing to have, like, just slightly misaligned ways of viewing things. We're all coming from our own perspective. And it's important not to be afraid of that, but to have to be empowered to actually take those on and make the best situation out of it, where both parties feel like they come away with something good from the engagement. Absolutely, that is exactly the the, the perspective, and um, and of course, what what will happen in this case, say we have a misalignment in, in like what we want to achieve and what we want to get out of this uh, project you can also get into more understanding and framing maybe understanding a bit more the issue at hand 
uh, will also provide you a haha moment, right? Oh, there's this aspect that I did not uh, have taken into account before, right? And and uh, and maybe that could also bring still some, you know, uh, some support to the objective of the industry partner but also provide uh, um, support for from our point of view that could be more uh, maybe abstract than theirs so to say so i think that that's exactly why we are doing this and why we don't shy away from these parts that might sound like again not extremely efficient but eventually they are because they then help us align and help us find a common way to look at the problem that could be still multifaceted and could still uh, bring about uh, mindsets that might not be balanced all the time. Uh, but practically speaking, this means that then you need to work together and do some activities to facilitate this. That could be role-playing activities or more context analysis activity so you understand the context and the people and you produce knowledge about that and then you analyze it together to support a shared sense making of the situation it really sounds like a common conundrum in companies where people want to dive deeper into issues uh, but the hours are not billable so it does not sound, in some partners, it doesn't sound super important, but without it, there's so much time that is being wasted running after different uh, problems that could be ironed out from the beginning. It, it sounds very, con it sounds connecting to in the, connected to industry in ways that I didn't expect it to be connected to industry. When, when we, we thought about, when I heard about the design lab approach, I really expected it to be an academic, an academic sort of approach that we're doing in the university. But this is very, it, it sounds very versatile. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> It's very versatile. I wouldn't say that it would work if it would just be applied into a corporate scenario without having there also other stakeholders. So I would say that it works well with when most of the um, quadruple helix is there, so to say. Um, so I would not suggest the responsible future to become what design thinking has become because also design thinking actually came from uh, academia and then eventually it became something that was applied in business and it was it was actually reduced a bit into a recipe again right as we were saying um, but definitely as you were saying uh, it's an investment for uh, stakeholders that have have to deal with money but all the stakeholders eventually have to deal with the money issue also academia right in a different way but um, but definitely it's an investment that could bring about value uh, for the project and in general for the um, either the, the the industry in general or uh, acad or academia that goes beyond maybe the you know just the, the just do it con, uh, feeling and uh, point of view so uh... Taking into consideration what you said there, let's take a completely different example and see if it applies or not. We have um, an external project now, the RRI scale project. How do you think it applies or yeah, does it apply? Yeah, so 
uh, R2 scale shares quite some principles with responsible futuring and in general with the design lab, right? So RRI is an acronym that means responsible research and innovation. It's a way to conduct innovation that has been um, implemented and, and used uh, for quite a long time, so a 10 years uh, roundup, I would say. And um, it has quite some principles that we share. So it has to do with open science, with bringing science to society, with uh, inclusiveness, um, with uh, ethical uh, science, so to say. And it, it, really, it really was meant to bring about decision-making that is usually done at the governmental um, at the government the governmental level or more at academic level, also more at a societal level, right? And RR to scale specifically has to do with uh, bringing together various stakeholders to think about the futures of mobility, the future of, of um, energy for various uh, local um, communities in Europe, right? Uh, so definitely we share an ethos that is uh, tackling societal challenges and doing so in an ethical way, in a way that is responsible for society. Um, what we can bring in uh, as Design Lab is really our point of view in how to involve citizens. Arguably, we are all citizens, right? On, on, to on top of being students, uh, professors, uh, or um, person that is working in a corporation or, or in a government. Um, but of course, what, what, what is it? A citizen is also a person that is subject to the decision that you make at the knowledge level, right? So that you decide, hey, let's make uh, uh, Enskede more sustainable. Let's, uh, I don't know, change completely the way we uh, do transportation. Everybody on the bike, forget your car, right? So th those are the kind of decisions that you have. And um, bringing in citizens is not easy because, of course, uh, it's an investment from at their end and, and they bring in expertises that are different from ours. And there might be still some issues of finding a common language, finding a common ground, uh, not falling into fault lines, as we were discussing before, and making sure that we don't paternalize people like they are there nice citizen that you're here, tell me what you want, maybe I'm gonna listen to you. Now, I'm, I'm making a, a, um, a, a pantomime of the situation, but you know what I, what I mean. So I think uh, with rr to scale we really are trying to figure it out, how to bring all these stakeholders into a dialogue with each other and to together develop responsible future scenarios for these local communities. And we are really focusing on achieving a, a dialogue that is not driven by academia government alone, but also uh, that brings in citizens. So you need to do activities that uh, make sure that, the, um, that actually modulate the differences in knowledge or an activity that tries to make sure that you find common ground amongst the possible conflict that they can, they can arise. So that's a bit the flavor of what we do there. And, and typically um, the uh, connect and relate 
but also the imagining an ID8 phase work works very well, right? Because you want to connect with the citizens and relate to them, but also to together co-shape responsible future scenarios, right? It's, uh, it is very, um, it, it sounds like it also applies in uh, different parts. Maybe it's more um, citizen science uh, than, uh, I don't know, doing a project with KLM. Uh, so it is a different area, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, now we would like to close with something that is a little bit more techy, mm-hmm. uh, maybe. So um, I, I have brought in uh, my own thesis mm-hmm. to see if it does apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, it is a bigger project. So it is a, it's a collaboration of three universities in uh, the Netherlands to create a system for post-operative pain monitoring for children in hospitals uh, using some wearable technology and social robotics. So there is a sock that the child will wear and it will give us the uh, information of whether the child is in pain or discomfort or not. So these are like body um, information that comes from the body. And also we are developing in social a social robot or a collection of social robots that the child could choose from and have it as their body to make them feel better or gain the confidentiality of the child to say the truth whether they're feeling pain or not. So how would this approach apply to my thesis? Well, definitely your thesis has a lot to do with responsible design because it it tackles a societal challenge that is uh, supporting uh, children's health care, which, as we know, uh, it's usually overburdened and uh, it's not easy to, you know, be uh, in all the places that the, the healthcare professional should be. So I think that's a main uh, point. And of course, with responsible futuring, we tackle societal challenges that have to do with responsible design. And by responsible design, I mean taking into account social uh, ethical implications of what you do and not only uh, the actual development of the technology but uh, try to integrate this vision on social ethical um, um, points of view into what you are going to design right and uh, definitely it has quite some challenges because you are working with minors and uh, and this is something that has also to do more with what I do in my everyday research, not at the design lab, so social robotics. Um, so you have some uh, points that you need to take into account that have to do with deception, that have to do with the children agency, so their sense of autonomy and control over a situation versus the one of a potential robot, the way you use the data, the way you source the data, etc right so all these are aspects that are related to uh, your thesis that are more society centered so to say and related to the ethical spectrum and the human technology relationship so this is also what we do in responsible future because as we said the focus is societal challenges and human technology relationship um, so what we would have to think about there is that for example uh, ideating with moral imagination so thinking about what does it mean for children to use this technology? What are the possible 
implications at the, at the societal level, at the individual level, at the more, you know, ecosystem level in the family. And try to make sure that all these considerations are taken into account when you think about the, technolo the technological shaping uh, that you want to do. Um, so I think that is a bit, it's the bit that you can bring in responsible futuring because instead of thinking just, okay, how can I produce the fastest and most novel solution? I, I, you think about how can I produce a solution that makes sense with the experience of the kids in their environment and that eventually will not bring more issues than it solves. That's a lot of food for thought. Thank you. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is a very interesting. Um, a, a, a very interesting uh, point to think about. Uh, and and it is something that has troubled me from from the beginning of this thesis. Is um, trying to think for not. I mean, it, there are some projects where you just practically don't really have a lot of access to the citizens involved. Um, so currently I wouldn't have a lot of access to children in order to get this kind of answers. You Using this method, uh, sorry, uh, using this approach, would this be mediated in some way? Are there, are there in this kind of collection of methods would there be a way to try and cover this gap? Well, yes, in the sense that you could use, uh, you can source towards design methods. So, for example, to try to do uh, cultural probes, for example, simply uh, instead of going somewhere to meet the children, you could send the children, uh, I don't know, a diary in which they explain their experiences regarding whatever, and in that way you will source their points of view in a way that is more um, ecologically valid than simply uh, giving them a survey or something like that. Um, and uh, definitely you could also think about more co-designing the uh, the artifact and you could do it at a distance in the very same manner that you're now talking to me without actually seeing me for real or sharing a cup of coffee so i think that that's that's absolutely possible it's not per se uh, always a solution embedded into a responsible futuring but it provides you at least uh it it, it invites you to go towards those methods that you could embed within responsible futuring that could help you out because of course then the the first step is that you will point you will start with thinking hey i cannot do this without involving the kids or the parents or the uh, healthcare providers because i i don't know better i know something about how to build a robot because that's what i study here but I cannot really understand their experience. And this is something that has been already covered quite a bit in the design research. So it's not something per se new in responsible futuring, but the responsible futuring framework, that kind of, you know, uh, philosophy that I was talking about will make you think, haha, I need to take that into account to analyze, you know, the potential implication, the context, the people, and to frame and reframe my point of view before start to develop a, uh, the usual 
humanoid robot that say, "How kid, how are you doing?" Right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I that's that is. Um, th- thank you very much. That is very, uh, very enlightening. Yeah. So I think now that we've gone through all these examples, we really can see how this approach applies to various situations. And with knowing that information and knowing how valuable it is, this approach, how will you communicate the new approach to the staff of Design Labs as well as other visitors? Thank you, Caritha. Uh, I appreciate that uh, it, at least it applied somehow or, or it, it stung somewhere. Uh, we have three out of three. <laughs> it applied so, everywhere. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> so I would say it's... so. Our way of working is also that it's not like I, together with MT, decide that this is the way to go and we go. It's a bit more try to figure it out together. So, of course, then also our communication needs needs to be a bit uh, participatory, right? So definitely uh, for the Dream Teamers, we're going to hopefully have uh, in the future moments in which we can actually uh, work it out and maybe do some, you know, examples together right in a in a nice session at the design lab when that would be possible um and for visitors i think of course it's a bit different than from staff right with staff we can do the same as with dream teamers uh, but for visitors uh what we have done actually in uh with the help of uh, an amazing team of dream teamers uh we developed uh, um a number of car games one, one in specific that has to do with really understanding this ethos in, 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 instead of like me explaining it to you, but through a game that is inspired by uh, Cards Against Humanity, which I don't know if you if you know it, but it's practically a, a, a set of cards that you have to complete sentence with cards that you have in the deck. So it has the same kind of uh, um, mechanics. Of course, it doesn't have the same kind of... Uh, sassiness and uh, um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah so that could also be a way to go and and of course we are gonna try to use also typical communication uh, ways of doing that so like I don't know videos or whatever but uh, I was really fond of looking at uh, serious games even though I hate the term but just like more a uh, playful way to to learn about it and also in a way that you can have that haha moments that maybe you you guys have had tonight, but without a person that tells you what it is. So uh, that at least that's my point of view. Of course, I think Sabine, uh, Masha, and Peter Paul, so our MT and Miriam know better um, how to do that in a more strategic way. But at least from at my end, that would be my suggestion. Uh, a quick question: Do we have access to this deck of cards? Yes, so it's it's in the design lab on my desk. I have to admit that due to pandemic and uh, almost maternity, I wouldn't make it to the office yet. But I think that if you are around, you can actually give it a look, and it's uh, it's a common property for everybody. Oh, that's that's really great. That would be very nice to actually play that game. Um, well. Thank you very much for all of the uh, ideas and for letting us poke out a little bit in your head and getting all of this um, information. 
Uh, it has, uh, as, as we have told you from the first time that we uh, invited you for this podcast, it's, a, um, it's the episode that was the most requested um, in, uh, from the Dream Team. And we're very happy that we managed to produce it this uh, academic year, even at the very last moment. <laughs> um, and um, are there any sort of uh, things that we might have left out or we have forgotten to discuss any sort of points that we didn't cover? I think you guys have done quite a comprehensive job and I think it was great that you actually poke me and in general uh, the responsible futuring approach to be applied so that I think was great and I think consider that this is in development right so again we are not looking at recipes so we're more looking at this kind of big frameworks philosophy ethos so there's still plenty of room to you know implement it that that said we can talk about it maybe six months a year from now to see where we are at next in the next phase of design lab of course let's check in and also um whenever we uh, we stay, we have you again available after your uh, maternity leave mm -hmm. uh, and also a big congratulations yes for that <laughs> uh we we want the design lab babies for pictures uh just uh, just uh, this is a very personal envelope i'm trying to push <laughs> um so i think that this can be the end of our episode uh and uh Thank you very much. I, I don't know, it's a little bit emotional because it's the last episode of the series. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little yeah. bit uh, difficult to end it. I really don't want to. <laughs> so uh, for everybody in Design Lab, thank you very much for sticking with us and listening to all of our blubbering for all of these uh, episodes. <laughs> uh, we promise yeah. to uh, have a moment of reflection over the summer and try to bring a new and um, exciting series next year and yeah. well I guess this is the mic drop moment right <laughs>